Welcome to Designing Hollywood. I'm your host, Philip Boutte, and thank you for joining us. Our guest today is someone that I've had the pleasure of working with quite a few times. She's cool as a cucumber, and she's known as not only having a great sense of style, but she also seems to unearth the natural grit of every character that she places her artistic values on. Her credits include Straight Outta Compton, Netflix's Bright, Power Rangers, The Wrong Missy, and a little unknown show called Sons of Anarchy. She's currently working on the upcoming project Samaritan starring Mr. Sly himself, Mr. Sylvester Stallone. Let's give a warm welcome to costume designer Kelly Jones. Aw, thank you. No problem. Thank you for, for, for joining us. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. <laughs> so I want to get into some questions just because I know our listeners are always curious to know, how did you come to this industry? How did you come to being a costume designer? Uh, when I moved to LA, I'm from Portland, Oregon, and when I moved to LA, I was in my early 20s, and I decided I did, I did jewelry design, and I did, I taught myself how to sew and solder, so I would solder clothes, and I would sell to boutiques up and down the United States, I mean, up and down the West Coast, and in part of the East Coast, but I realized that wholesale was hard, and it was hard, and I didn't have a big factory, and I was making it all local in Los Angeles, and so a really good friend of mine was an actor and was doing a movie. And I went to set and I just realized it was kind of like a light bulb moment. I'm like, okay, I don't want to fashion design for the masses. Like I want to build characters. I was just like so entranced by it. So he introduced me to the director and the designer of that movie was Ellen Mirajnik. So the oh, awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> the director, I didn't know that. I love hearing stuff like that. Yeah. It was wild. And then and then I just talked to the, the director for a while because then we became friends. And and he basically called Ellen and said, Ellen, there's this girl that wants to get into costume design. And you know, maybe you could have her PA for you. And she he was she was starting a new movie and she did all of his movies. It was the Zucker yeah. So she normally works with this back then. So she was going to hire me to be her PA on this movie. And right then, I had also been hustling and trying to get into the, a costume shop to get my union days because someone told me that I needed to do that. So it was like the same week that I got hired at EC2. She told me that I could be a PA for her. And I chose EC2 because, you know, you can, I was getting my union days. So then I got in the union. And then I realized I was on set. So I started working on The Shield. And then it just kind of took off from there. Like I got to be friends with an actor who then produced a movie that I designed and blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of- yeah, it just kind of just kept going, 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 going. I didn't know I wanted to be a costume designer when I moved to LA. I knew I wanted to work in fashion and I knew I wanted to work. I worked in fashion in one aspect or another for years before that. But I knew that that's, I knew it wanted to be something in fashion and development of clothing. So that's how it progressed. So that was kind of like your lightning bolt moment was just kind of like, oh, I can do this. And it's like you, it took your interest and it funneled them into a career. Totally. And it took me That's being awesome. in LA, it took me being on a set and, you know, watching how just the whole thing is orchestrated. So yeah, I was fascinated by it. And then when you're in LA, you know, I knew I didn't want to move to New York. So <laughs> if you want to do high fashion, you want to do wholesale, a lot of times you got to be in New York. And I mean, I was in LA and I figured I, you got to work in the entertainment industry in some aspect. So I think it was just kind of, it all fit oddly together, kind of out of nowhere. So yeah. And then, you know, it's hard work though. It took a time <laughs> to get no, it's to hard work, but it's like also too, one of the best parts about it that I'm hearing from this is that you were able to kind of like 
learn as you went along. So it was like funneling an interest. Um, you couldn't have picked a better person to start with than Ellen Rajnik. I love her. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, so giving. So I think that that's cool. I'm glad. I had no idea that that was like your first start. Um, so that's really cool. Um, and I think that it then it's just a matter of, like you said, just kind of doing the work, putting in the time, and then kind of taking that passion and trying to get it on screen. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what happened. So yeah. So then when you when you went from, I think that I looked at a lot of your different projects and your projects span different genres, like in terms of like going like contemporary, some, you know, some um, more specialty stuff and all of those different things. Um, how do you keep your your design process fresh and how do you avoid burnout between switching creatively between the different projects? I think the reason I've, I've not been burnt out is because even though I stay with the same tone, like my movies kind of are the same tone, they are different genres. Right. So it's Sons of Anarchy or Straight Outta Compton or Bright. It's sort of a lot of my movies, not all of them, but there's sort of an element of like the underbelly of society, which I think is an interesting thing to try to have the masses romanticize. So with all of the projects that I do, even... So even Power Rangers, like when I first got on Power Rangers, that was, you know, we all talked about the concepts of it and it was just supposed to be a dark version of Power Rangers. It wasn't right. the poppy spandex. It was just this dark, very real industrial version. So I don't stick with the same exact genre, but almost the same tone throughout right. a lot of the projects that I've done. Which I've seen too, and then you're kind of like, I think you're right. It, it kind of acts as a palate cleanser. Each project's its own thing. And so you yeah. can kind of really dive in specifically into what that thing is. And then that keeps you kind of fresh and kind of energized. And then when that's done, you put it to bed and you move to something else. Yeah. And then I'm always, you know, every job that I've done, not, not so much anymore, but in starting out, I was terrified. Every job that was worth doing, I felt that I didn't know if I could do it. And you just have to put your best foot forward and a smile on your face and you're like, I can do this goddamn job. And it was anywhere from doing, you know, straight out of Compton, very intimidating. Like the right. guys that I'm designing for are on set and they are producing the movie right. in their life. And then Power Rangers, it was a different way. It's like, I've never at that point designed a full superhero costume right. that was 3D printed. And that went from an illustration phase to where the first time the actor actually tries the costume on, it had been in development for a year and they there's no second chances. They get scanned, that, that costume gets built months later, they try it on, there are no alterations normally. Yeah, it's like you're just, that. this is what it is, right? <laughs> and then when, you know, also Sons of Anarchy, like I was really, you know, it was a lot of it, some of it's based on the Hells Angels and there was a lot of Hells Angels on the show and around the show and so, I wanted to give merit to their world in a way that wasn't, that didn't just focus on the people. I wanted the audience to be bigger than the people who inside knew that world. Right. I wanted it to be broader. So I had to like branch out of what would be the stereotypical way to dress certain bikers and make it more accessible to the rest of the society that was going to watch it, but still be real. So all of these projects are terrifying to take on because mm -hmm. if you do it right, people will know. And there's like right. this weird cult fan base for a lot of the projects I do, including, you know, Bright was like, you know, there's a cult fan base for David Ayer in general, but then mm -hmm. also that was Aliens and it was, it's like this mythical time, but it's, it's contemporary and it's also gangs and it's fairies. And it's just, it's very, it's, it's 
crazy. But yeah, so that's what I realized. If it's if I'm nervous to do the job, then it's a job worth taking. That's what I <laughs> see. And you know what? I like that. That's something that I hadn't thought about the fact that you've had several projects where you're kind of taking something that people are really partial to, like you said, like the Hells Angels and those things and like uh, uh, Straight Outta Compton, those guys, like you're taking that and you're funneling that. And I know that pressure really well in terms of making sure that you're, you know, paying tribute and like, and getting the, getting it right for the people that are really vested, right? Like I really want to follow Hells Angels or I am a Hells Angel. How do you get it to where those guys watch it? And they're like, that's cool. Which leads me to the next question, which is, you must tell us about Sons of Anarchy. So talk about those little, like, talk about that journey and talk about how you were able to infuse the show so much with the realness, the grit. Um, I, well, Kurt is great. So how I know Kurt Sutter is that I, my very first job in the union was a set costumer on The Shield. Now, okay. The Shield is a show that he wrote on, and as much as I didn't really know Kurt, I knew a lot of the other writers, mm -hmm. I knew, like, he would come up for his episodes. And so when Sons of Anarchy was happening, my agent got a call, and I had been, I was also, like, in between that and doing Sons of Anarchy, I had designed several TV series in the meantime. None of them were huge breakout hits. Some of them went a full season. Some of them went until they got canceled the second episode. But I had been designing, really, um, The Shield was the only show that I really did a full set that costuming on. Yeah. So Kurt knew that. My agent reached out to him. He reached out to my agent. So I go and I meet Kurt and he basically sits down with me and he was like, listen, he goes, as long as I don't ever look at the screen and notice the clothing, then it's fine. He goes, but I just want you to know this is not a show that you're going to do where you're going to get any recognition for costume design. It's what he told me. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> All right, I'll take you up on that. So I think about Kurt is he was so he's very hands-on on the show. Mm -hmm. And if he sees something that he does not like, you are the first one to hear about it. But other than that, he's very trusting with the process with me, with the actors. And one of the actors was a Hell's Angel. So right. he would come into the fittings and he all of the boys some of the cast didn't even really ride motorcycles at that point. So it was kind of a new world to, you know, to half of the cast. I mean, I don't think Ron Perlman at that point had even ever ridden a motorcycle. Wow. Okay. Seagal wasn't someone that was on motorcycles at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, Maggie, same thing. Like she, I don't, I don't even know if she's been on a motorcycle ever since. Ever since, or right. <laughs> but everyone kind of took this world that this guy, you know, opened up to everybody. And so, yeah. And really, he showed us a lot about, and, and he was up in, in Northern California, but, you know, he would show us a lot about, like, the inside world, and I just wanted to make sure, so I kind of got the okay from him on how to, like, go about making it, just, like, pulling it back a little bit, I, you know, just with certain elements, like, you know, and making it cooler, and this guy dressed cooler, and so we kind of, like, pulled in kind of, like, a hip-hop element to it. Right. It was like, you know, Charlie wore like the Air Force Ones. So right. he wore like the big carpenter jeans, Air Force Ones. A lot of people wore the Levi 501s. It was, you know, the just kind of the really oversized like Gildan tees and pro clubs. And so it was a very just almost like hip hop vibe, which I thought kept it a little bit more contemporary right. and, and honestly sexier to look at sort of guys like dressed like that for the masses, do you know what I mean? Versus right. 
you know, a lot of bikers wear leather chaps. You know, they right. wear leather chaps. It says Harley all over their shirts. And I don't know, to me, because I'd never been on a motorcycle, I thought that's not, that just seems a little stereotypical. And I didn't want it. I wanted these guys, even though guys that dress like that are cool, but yeah. I want the people that are in their offices that are, you know, that work a nine to five, that are accountants, that are bankers, that was ended up being a big part of the, the, the group of people that were fans of the show. Because right. again, they romanticized this lifestyle. I wanted them to be able to look at and be like, okay, like the chicks would be like, those guys look sexy. Yeah. And the guys would be like, damn, like Katie and like Drea and you know what I mean? And Maggie, like those chicks look hot. So that's kind of what what I what I went with, and Kurt let me do it. So a couple pushbacks here and there, naturally, but other than that, he let me run those the fittings with those boys and those actresses, and it was great. So yeah. What I what I loved about it is exactly what you just said. It's it's because you found a niche where it's a fine line between like taking something and completely changing it, but then finding the heart of it. What's cool about what you did with the style. Like when you were talking about like how you were mixing it up and making it sexier and bringing it to the masses is, I think it also influenced people that are Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels to dress differently, which is something that often doesn't happen, which is like those guys could all just sat back and be like, this is all we wear, this is what we do. But yeah. I think it kind of made them cooler as well. I think that there was something in there, there's an inherent functionality in the way that they dress, right? The chaps, all the stuff. It's like, okay, well, I'm on my bike most of the time. So there's function, but then there's also style. And I feel like the the show really mixed those two together in a way that didn't feel like it was trying hard. It felt organic and natural, but it felt cool. Like, oh, so, yeah, no, I thought that that was a really uh, great thing. Was there any, did you find any other challenges or you can even talk about it in general. Are there any challenges that you faced just from a design standpoint on Sons of, Sons of Anarchy or just in general? Like, are there challenges that you face that you find come up and then how do you overcome them? Or how did you overcome them? I mean, I guess the challenges that normally happen is when, I mean, I don't know. I can't really say that there was a lot of challenges in Sons of Anarchy because as much as like some of those people, some of the actors, like Katie, when she walks in the fittings, I mean, she's wearing like linen shirt and linen pants and like flip-flops. Like right. she couldn't be less Gemma when she walks in that fitting. She's like a, a very just like beautiful hippie. Yeah. And then she will go for it. I mean, she'll be Into like, let's it, get yeah. the curls up and let's get this tight shit on and we can do a corset. So I didn't have, I mean, I, I, for my first big show out the gate, like that was a dream because everybody was so open because it was such a cool show. And in the beginning, the first year it wasn't successful. It wasn't until the hiatus where we realized that people were DVRing it. So we didn't even know if we were going to get canceled after the beginning of the second season. So I think once everybody, first of all, realized that they were like, wow, like this is a show that people want to watch us, then everyone just got more into it. So the collaboration got stronger. I mean, I, if there was anything to overcome, it's just the amount of people in the show. Correct. Because <laughs> you have to think back then, FX had only had a handful of successful shows. Right. We were on a shoestring budget with a shoestring crew. I mean, we were running over cuts with our cars to distress them because you have to, everything needed to look distressed, but we didn't have age or dyers on wow, our Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so you were. <laughs> That's a problem, but you found a way to, a creative way to solve it. That's really cool. Um, yeah. You were also talking about the um, uh, the differentiations in the games, right? 
So how how were you able to do that, especially on a budget? Like, how did you make sure this is this game, that's that, that game? Talk about that thought process. Well, there was, I mean, there was the Irish gang. There was, it just, I would, we would do it with color. We would differentiate color. them with color. And then it was just a lot of research. And then it was really talking. Kurt was really good about his casting. I mean, most people that he put, there were some actors in each one of the gangs that were actually, that lived that lifestyle. Right. So regardless of what gang it was, it was just really, and I, I'm very open. And, you know, again, like it, it was my first TV show that was successful. Mm -hmm. So I would go in there with an idea and then it was so much collaboration. Like if someone would come in, you know, there was a one portion of like one season where there was about four fittings right in a world where the people literally got out of prison and came straight to the fitting. So it's like, they just taught, I mean, they got out of the prison from being in a gang, from doing some gang shit, some wow. you know, crazy shit. So they would come yeah. in and talk about it. And so I would say to them, I'd be like, hey, those shoes are right, right? Like, like. Yeah, <laughs> like this is, this is okay. Hear that. Yeah. You'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, these are hard. Like, these are good. You know what I mean? And so it's like, okay, because I didn't want to, I, listen, I've never been in a gang. This is contemporary. Yeah, right. I had to do research on. I can't have an ego about it. I'm going to bring the my best aesthetic that I can to the show, but I don't want it wrong. So I need to make sure. So Kurt was always really good about like, again, like one of the main sons of anarchy was in the Hells Angels. So he's very good about like pulling like the people from each gang. So that was, that was, that helped. It, it, it was helped. It's honestly like I, I, I was I was of the elk of the same thing. I didn't watch it the first season. Like I saw it. I was drawn to it. Um, so shout out to whoever did marketing. The mark I was like driving around town just seeing the marketing for it. I was like, what is this show? I have to watch it. And then the first season I binged. And then I was like, I'm in it to win it. Like I need more of that. So I completely did the same thing where I wasn't watching it as it was going, but then I watched the first season and then I was like, okay, now I'm in this, like, what is the show? It's awesome. And I like the authenticity of it. And it, I definitely feel like for you, it was a very great uh, exercise in character development. Totally. I mean, even the porn yeah. star, were, half the porn stars were real porn stars. Yeah. <laughs> like they would come in and it's like, oh, you know, I mean, of course, like, Kristen and and uh, Winter, who played like the two porn, the, the two porn stars, like they weren't real porn stars. They were real actresses their whole life. But you know, I would like pull from like some of the other girls, and I, you know, it was just like this big fun collaboration. Yeah, like, yeah. Again, all of the women actresses or the actual the real like the, those porn stars that would come in and work on the show, all just very cool. Like there was no uncomfortable moments. Do you know what I mean with the yeah. actors? Like because there's. You know, there's either guys that look like hardcore bikers or there's women right. that's walking around in lingerie. Right. So it was, <laughs> everyone, there was a couple of funny instances in the past of just like thing like going, but like they're porn stars not used to wearing clothes. So they'd walk on set and they wouldn't have any clothes on. It's like, yeah. like put something on. Well, you, you have to, yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, it was just like a pretty normal set, but it was a lot of fun. It was seven years of a hard work, but a lot of fun, so. Well, dive into, I want to switch gears a little bit to, um, and I want you to dive more into process. Like when you're starting a project, mm -hmm. uh, just for our listeners, like what's your process? Like, how do you start? Like, do you, you know, like just basic, like reading the script and then like, how do you start that overall trying to come to your characters? I mean, really, I'll just start with, I'll give them an idea in my mind of just the overall vibe of the show or the movie. And then I try to get into, I go into each specific character, a little bit of their past and what brought them to the point that they are in the movie. And then I just 
I mean, I scour. It used to be, I would just, it would be magazines and it would be like books. I would just read about those kind of characters. And then I just, I mean, I dive into internet holes that last, I can't even tell you, like days and days. And then I come up with a board, like a cohesive board that I put together of characters and it will have, sometimes it'll have the color palettes on it and just the tone and it'll say what fabrics or what sort of metals that it would, that I would think if it was jewelry. And then I put the board together and then I, I send it off to the director or I meet with the director. And then it just kind of goes from there. I mean, I would, in the beginning, I would do illustrations right off the jump. And then I realized with an illustration right away, sometimes that backfires because it's so specific and it's so one thing that if you talk with a director, you don't know what's in their mind. So if you meet with them right away and that is absolutely not what they're thinking. It's almost like you've already dug yourself a hole. So right. I realized that doing like leaving the illustrations for later on in the process for once you know what page you want to be on and to start with like an overall like mood board and tone, that helped to where it didn't seem too aggressive right, right in the beginning. You know what I mean? Too much like, this is what I think it's gonna be. Cause I, I have noticed when I did that, there was a couple times that I just realized that I think the director or producer thought, this isn't what I want. And I just have a feeling that if I hire her, she's gonna keep veering back. Exactly. It's so specific to right. So yeah. yeah. That's actually a good point, because especially being an illustrator myself, that's yeah. something that I've learned as well, um, working with a lot of different designers, and especially like when you're doing contemporary stuff, like when we work together, it's like we're in a part that's like further along in the development after we're starting to kind of try and figure stuff out. But you're yeah. right, if you if you show too much too early, I even find I draw differently depending on where we are. So like if you were going in for a meeting, my, I've drawn a more sketchy kind of general tone to where it can become whatever the director is looking at, meaning that they can look at it, but it's yeah. not so specific because you're right. They will say like, oh, this is completely wrong. And I'm mm -hmm. worried that she'll just keep going to the wrong place. <laughs> exactly. Oh so, yeah, I completely get that. And then the other times, if you just show up with some loose sketches or something general, they're like, okay, so this feels collaborative. I think yeah. that that's the thing. It doesn't feel as final. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's yes. kind of how I do my, that's the process that, that I've used anyway. So then the question becomes now with the fact that we're just throwing it out there because we're dealing with COVID, mm -hmm. how are you dealing with the new protocols within that process? Like, how are you now? How, how is it functioning at work? I am at the, I'm at the point. So we start shooting in two weeks okay. and we are one of the first. So basically we, it's a, like a 50, $60 million film that was exactly halfway shot when we went down. I mean, we had like five, almost six weeks done. We had six weeks left. So because of that, they were, it was quicker to bring us back than like a brand new project. So yeah. most of the stuff has been done. A lot of the stuff has been established. And right now we are just getting the protocol from the COVID, um, I don't know what you would even call them, like the people that oversee COVID for the studios. And at this point, I just say yes to everything. And then we'll see what happens. Because yeah. like today I was told that, you know, the actors are never gonna, there's no trailers, unless they're like number one, two, three in the call sheet. So no trailers whatsoever. They all sit at a tent on A pod. I'm in B pod, cause I have to do some fittings with certain people, but there's no setting rooms. There's no any, there's no costumers on a pod. There's, wow. yeah, so it's like, because I think that they, like when they put these rules together, like there's no hair and makeup 
on a pod they get like a couple of them will get done in b pod and then they send them up and if anything needs to happen script supervisor is going to deal with it that is what is was said so when i'm sitting there with the department head of the makeup department head we're just sitting there we're like i don't know whether to push back now or to just be like let's that's how you guys think we're going to have it safe and that's fine i'll totally respect that and if it doesn't work then then we'll figure out what to do. Figure because, out how to move forward, right? Because the only way to say to how to how to make it work in our minds goes against the way that this that this protocol is set up, which is right. there are pods. You do not cross contaminate. You wear your mask all day. That's all fine. But the cross contaminating, so you can't. At this point, we heard today. I said, okay, so I'll be in B with the rest with like the main wardrobe trailer, and we'll just send up the clothes if an actor has to change. And they said, no, there's nothing that can go up to A from B. And I'm like, okay, well, what if there's, but the first day we're shooting three different days. We're shooting day two, day four, day five. So how are they changing in between scenes? They're like, they're, that, and then that's all they say. They say there is no clothes that go up and back. So basically then you would, would you have to, you, you would have had to foresee things and think things through and send everything to A when it goes? Yes, and they're trying to make it to where the director approves everything a full two days before it shoots. Okay. So, and it's it's hard because you can't just call an actor in and be like, hey, can you have a fitting? You have to do a COVID test first. Right. And the COVID tests take time for turnaround, and then then they come in for a fitting. And I mean, it's it's a tricky, tricky world right now. But at this point, I'm just grateful to be working, and I think everybody is too. Right. We all just want to be safe. So it's like, okay, let's just do what we're told to do right now to make sure everyone's safe. And then hopefully we'll figure out how to make this work as well. I mean, that's yeah. how, it's just like, every time we, we hear something else, like it's just for wardrobe, especially, it's very challenging. I mean, I don't even, the fact that I can never go up and see the director and never go up and see the cast and have the director tell me anything face to face is mind blowing how that's going to work. But if that's how they say it's going to work, then I'm fine with that right now. Right, so. just trying to figure out what, what it feels like is everyone's kind of finding a new way, but then it also, what's strange about it is, is because of the protocols, it feels more collaborative because it forces everyone to really communicate. Because it's oh, like, you, don't yeah. have, you know what I mean? Like you have to oh, make yeah. decisions, you have to be on top of it, you have to think in advance. Like, so that part of it is good. But I do, I do, I do feel your pain, at least in terms of the like, like, there's just certain things where you're like, can I just go in and fix this real quick? Or like, can I, like, I just had an idea. Can we, it's like that part of it is really hard to get around, you know? And if the director is like, actually, I'm seeing this now on set. Can we go with change? The other change that I didn't approve, like maybe change two, can we switch him? Like if he sees it, you know, cause he doesn't see it until right. It's on set. He sees it in photographs, but he doesn't see it on set. So I've had sometimes the director's like, no, actually I'm not feeling this in front of this house or whatever. So can we switch to this other outfit? Well, we won't be able to do that. So, yeah. so you, or you wouldn't be able to do it unless you had already sent, it would have already had to have been like a backup. Uh, a backup idea in the package that got sent before. Yeah. Yeah, there's no last minute changes. And that goes for set design too. Like there's no last, and that's what I was told. Like there will be, there's no, you can't have any last minute changes. So it'll be interesting. I mean, look again, it's just, it's like kind of mind blowing. And I just have to sit there and be like, I'm just going to continue on doing my task at hand. 
because to try to like think about it's a whole new world to be so not hands-on because costume designers and as designers and like we're used to being very hands-on and very OCD so there's (laughs) I'm a Virgo I'm very OCD like there's no OCD there's no last booking like I will never be able to do an established shot like they have a picture and send to me and then I mean I'll have to have one costume on A that never comes to B so it's just it's tricky. It's weird. But again, it's all about safety. And so everybody's totally respectful of that. And we're just grateful that we're working right now. You know what I mean? Because they could easily, all the, all the entire entertainment industry is built on an idea of like the collaborations like this. So a lot, that's why there's not a lot of things shooting. I'm sure people or some studios are probably like, let's just wait until there's closer to a vaccine, something like that. So Right now, we're just all taking the biggest precautions that we can, so. But there are some things, too, that become way harder to shoot. So I think we're going to also see a change in tone, at least for what people can shoot right now, because you're right. Some things you can kind of figure out, and then other things, it's like, how do we figure out how to do that without being able to, you know what I mean? Like, there's something that just requires I got a call. I know. I got a call right when we started, and, and it was one of the ADs and she said, Kelly, can I ask you a question? I know this other show that's been shooting. I don't even know if it was shooting here or somewhere else in the United States. She goes, so for the background scene, she goes, is there any way, because we have huge scenes in this movie with hundreds of background as yeah. it's now. Yeah. Is there any way you can make masks that they're kind of like, they're like flesh colored masks with different shades. And then on these masks, you make it to where it looks like a nose and a mouth. Oh, wow. So then you can have 200 people standing behind in what what the audience will not know are right. masks. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> do I have another department that can help me? Because these would be a one day, day wear. There's 200 people. We shoot this scene for a week and a half. I'm like, wait, what? Like <laughs> thousands of these. I mean, it's a good idea, but not like, hey, Kelly, can you bring right. me tomorrow? Yeah, like, no, I don't, <laughs> you know I don't I mean? think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. There's a clip going around on the internet right now, and I forget it's from one of the soap operas where they have the two actors, they keep doing the two shot, but one of them, they have to kiss, and the actor ends up kissing a mannequin. <laughs> they're trying to, because they're trying to hide the fact that they can't actually interact with each other. I just I think that... We're in a really interesting time, so I'm curious to see how it goes. What you're describing reminds me of like crowd scenes when they put the little inflatable people. Now they're literally just trying to figure out a way to hide it, you know? And I get it. Like, it's all about being really creative right now. Right. Like, with all right. of the obstacles that they told me about today with not being able to go to set and the actors are going to stay in their t- under a tent all day, so they're never going to be able to change anywhere. Like, maybe they're going to get a changing tent up there. I, we're trying to come up now. It's just like, all right, let's come up with creative ideas to try to fix these problems. So, yeah. you know, I mean, and that it'll all happen. Like, that's the thing. We're a very creative, resourceful industry. So <laughs> if problems, we will come up with solutions. So, yeah. Well, I gotta say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit too, but speaking of your creativity, I wanna touch on Bright because Bright kind of combines a lot of the things that you do well, but it was across different little like, like uh, uh, platforms in terms of you had like a full fantasy element and then you had like the real element, like grounding humans in there. And then you had like 
a style like you you kind of infused it with almost like fashion forwardness and style like with the elves and stuff like that so kind of talk about like how you were able to balance those things like did you start with like let me start with humans first and work my way out or let me start with the different races like so did you start like okay orcs versus elves versus you know uh, centaurs or like how did you start that process of distinguishing all those characters and like their worlds I started with the orcs and I, that was the first time working with David Ayer, who's a huge collaborator. So, I mean, there's not a shoelace on a movie set of David's that he did not approve (laughs) with you, things for you, or like you really came up or you dyed the shoelace together. You know what I mean? (laughs) We started with the orcs and then it really started out like it was supposed to be based in reality to where you just looked out your window and you would just see orcs walking around in normal clothes and then evolved from there. So it's like the, the, the creature evolution started looking crazier and crazier. And so then it's like, well, we can't have a distress normal. So let's like have the gangsters look like the nineties gangsters. So that's what we did with like the gangster orgs. And then like the workers look, I mean, they're just like in beat up dickies and they're just like really like industrial. So he was like, let's like so start with the orcs from there. So then you have, that's what they look like. Like they're either, it's basically just like the industrial world. And then yeah. there's the elves. So the elves is the offshoot of that. Not the offshoot, but just like, that's the dichotomy of society. It's just like the, like, it looks almost like they don't, like they live on a different planet. So then right. it has the colors. So I was like, all right, then why don't we do the elves, like the teals and the blues with the golds and the silvers, mm-hmm. if all like earth tones and everything like that for the orcs. So did all those illustrations. He approved this, liked this, didn't like this. And so we worked that way. And then I had to do it. It was, what is it? Was it the, I forget, it was like the dinosaur people. Trying to remember like these walk around characters that was just, I mean, it was crazy that like random characters that would just pop right. in his that we had to like dress and he was like yeah this one like it would be like a homeless I forgot what they were called a homeless like dinosaur or something it's the wrong name and I'm like okay let's just put a trash bag on it so I had like it was illustrations of the future with just a trash bag but they were just like with like a purse in their hand it was just like so weird so but it was fun and that was so that came together in a very like crazy crazy way so that's uh so yeah and then the you know, the high, high fat, like knew me that like that old elf world, you know, I think we originally started to where they were like, they weren't even elves, those characters. They were, I forgot what they were called, but they were just like very Gothic. So Gothic and just like, almost like satanic. And we we did a test with that and it was too much. It just, It was too much and it was too dark. And and then David's like, Lynn, you know what? Let's make new me and those 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 three. Well, let's make them elves. But like the high end, like everything is custom and it it was perfect. And so yeah, so that was my favorite thing because normally elves have that kind of look where it's like, you know, they've got the woodsy look, or like you said, or it goes into the satanic dark. But the high fashion thing just made them feel like it made me hate them more. It made them feel like really pompous and arrogant and like everything like it felt that custom world felt like everything that we have, like we're too good for everything. Everything that touches me must be custom. And there was some part of that that felt so much like the elf. I thought it was brilliant. It was so cool. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, I mean, they were fun and every single thing on them was custom. So yeah, that was, uh, yeah, but that was fun. That was, but I had a massive team. You were illustrating on that. Like, it was just like, I had, I think you've illustrated with me like four yeah. or five different movies. Uh, yeah, a few of them. The one, the, the illustrator for this one was Oksana. Oh, did she do my, oh, her? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, we did, uh, was it Venom? And Power oh. Rangers, yeah. <laughs> That's right, you did Power Rangers. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, so that was, I mean, it was crazy. That was an exhausting nine months of my life, but I loved it. I loved how it looked. I just, I did too. And I, I loved the balance of just, um, I that balance is like, you were just throwing a curveball, but I think you handled it well. Because you, again, you found, it's like you had to distinguish each character. So you had to say, orcs, you know, move this way versus, you know, elves move this way there's that distinguishing and then underneath that it's like okay well then their characters each one of these characters I have to pepper them out and figure out how they look separate yeah. and then you have to balance them all together with like regular humans and then people and then all the world has to come back together so that's a challenge in itself but I thought it, you did a really good job yeah I mean it was it was it, I learned a lot oh they were lizard people they weren't they that's lizard they people were. yeah <laughs> Ash bags on them, and you all—I don't even know if you see them in the movie, but it was <laughs> they just had to be there. Maybe you see them, made, but they had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, for your for your creativity, are there any films or any? Um, is there anything that kind of inspired you? Like, what are, what are the things that are the inspirations that you have? Like, you know, like, are there, you know, specific types of films or directors or anything that you draw from? It really, it oddly is stuff that I, you know, I kind of, I, you know, I tend to do, I tend to do like a lot of gang stuff and I tend to do some of just like grittier, grittier movies. And so really like what I have watched a million times from well before, way back when, is like Goodfellas and Scarface. So those two movies, I, I've, I've always just thought the fashion in those and just the, the design element is just unmatched. But then something that was a little bit more contemporary would be uh, like Pulp Fiction. Really anything yeah. that Gino did. But I really think, I mean, Uma Thurman's characters, I mean, her, her costumes in that movie are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the short pants and the white blouse and you know, he opens it up like when she's on the phone and opens it and it's this corset underneath. I mean, every single thing, it's a, it's a car. That's what I loved about it. This is what I try to do with my movies, at least if I get the opportunity to wear their characters, but they're not costumey. Do you Correct. Know what I mean? To where they're definitive. Like my whole thing, especially I loved seeing it on Sons of Anarchy on Halloween. People would dress up for yeah. Sons of Anarchy and Halloween. So then I realized how cool that was to build a character that was so iconic that but wasn't too over the top that people would dress up for him for Halloween. That even was accessible. That it was accessible, right. exactly. Even if it was contemporary. I mean, right. just like Uma Thurman and that like those black pants and that white shirt with that little black bob. I mean, mm -hmm. who the amount of times I've seen someone dressed up like her, and it's such a simple outfit for a contemporary character. Correct. So that is like, so those three movies really have been like the ones that, that just stand out is like, I'll watch them, I'll, I'll watch them on mute just to look at the fashion. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's dresses and yeah. costumes and Scarface. I mean, it's, I mean, it blows my, it blows me away, so. 
So yeah, it's those little details too. Like you said, it's creating that iconic character, but that character lives in that world and just feels effortless and not like they're not trying to do that. Like Uma wasn't trying to be like, that's just who she was. And I think that that's, that's when you find that, that's the magic. Yeah, and it's hard because she's in that co that costume. I mean, that's like one of her main costumes. And so yeah. she's in it a lot. And it's so it's a balance to where you don't want it to be something that's too character-y, that's like a little like cartoonish, but you also don't want it to be boring. So it has to be something in the middle. And I just thought that, I thought that's probably one of the most perfect costumes. Cause I also would never have expected when you ripped that shirt open. That there was a, that yeah, shirt. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that is so like cool. There's, there's more, yeah. <laughs> intricate and awesome so yeah so so then within that same that same vein of talking about like just like a, a a character are there any people i always like to ask this question um we all have these people like when we work like especially because we're working on bigger projects where is there any uh like artist or an actor or a, a key collaborator director or someone that you worked with that maybe like you had always wanted to work with and you were excited or maybe you were like fangirling and freaking out on the inside but being professional like do you have any stories like that or anyone that you really just like it could be anyone you know i do and it's will smith god there you go <laughs> here's the thing about will smith is that he was in my living room when i was growing up so there's a difference right. i think with being like having a movie star and seeing like five or whatever, six, seven of their movies, and then having someone in your living room, the Bel Air, every single night, like that was, and then he is such a big presence on screen mm -hmm. that I just didn't know. You, I mean, it's Will Smith. I mean, he's literally yeah. one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So you right. just don't know sometimes how they're going to be like if like you just don't know so you just right. go in there and i had the fitting with david and i was a little fangirled about it because you feel like you grow up with them do you know what right. i mean no correct it's crazy yeah so, and then he he literally is exactly how you would expect him to be love like, that the most lovely human on the planet would walk on the set every day and say hello to everyone on set i believe it i just love that die. And I mean, yeah. And then the collaborator, like I would walk in and it's like, okay, Will, are you feeling this? And he's like, do you like it? Does David like it? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, then yeah. He's like, <laughs> like he trusted me and David. So that was huge. So yeah. See, that's always a good story too. Cause sometimes you meet and it's like, you never know what you're going to get. But I do love when I, I know that difference. Like it's the difference between, like you said, meeting a big star, but then meeting someone that literally shaped a part of who you are. It's a oh, different yeah. thing. So I think that that's really great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. I was, so, I was Tell me about, um, I want to talk a little bit too about the the wrong Missy. So tell me about, because you did a lot of good work on that project. Tell me about, like, just talk us through it. So I, um, it was kind of random. I got the call to just meet on the movie, but it was via Skype with the director. And it was, I think, like, right before, think, right before Christmas. And I thought it was just, I mean, I don't know. I had not done comedy since um, Parks and Recreation. So yeah. I just thought it was a little odd, like just of me, like them selecting me to just meet with. And I talked with the director on Skype and we just hit it off right away. And he told me about it. And I read the script was hilarious. And I always wanted to work on a Happy Madison movie. And so it started and, you know, those movies aren't huge budgets. They're, you know, they're like right. 15 under. And so you don't get a huge crew. And I read the script and the script seems very like, oh yeah, funny. And then I forgot that that comedy, the reason that it's so hard is because 
the, the jokes normally revolve around the wardrobe. It's someone falling and tearing. It's something right. spilling. It's something happens to the wardrobe. That is like 50% of the time that's included in the joke. Correct. So we ended up making, and we wanted to make the Missy character. She's crazy. We want to make her outfit so crazy that it's just too over the top. Right. So it was like it needed. Some of them are nuts. Like definitely the dress that she wears at the party is nuts. But she also needs to look nuts there because it's the way people look at her right when she walks in. Like she's tall and she's statuesque, but she comes in. The, the boss thinks that he's going to be meeting a supermodel. So we had to make her look weird because yeah. she she could be a supermodel. You know what right. I mean? Right. So. So there was that, and then you know David's played played the straight character. So that was easy enough to where that he just his straight character sort of like Tommy Boy, mm -hmm. but then everything else was just, I mean it was it was crazy. Like the merm, like we had to make mermaid characters, and then a giraffe, and then Nick Swartzen's like literally in a diaper, and like it's just it was nuts. I mean again every laugh had something to do with the costume. It felt like, but I did make. So much, I, I got to do custom design so much of that. And I do have to say, as crazy as it was, there's an outfit that she wore that has lemons on the t-shirt and plaid shorts. Oksana illustrated that for me. And I have never had more requests from guys' girlfriends on where they can what? buy the oh. or where the girl can buy the shirt. And I made, I mean, we had it designed and it was screwed, it was printed in LA and the, the fabric for the shorts was bought in LA and shipped out. And yeah. but it's just like of any project that I've done, I just thought that's crazy. Like, like this is this is the one? Yeah, everyone's like, where can I get that? Yeah. <laughs> and it felt really good because I do have to say on the level of difficult, I think the wrong Missy takes the cake. Like, like with me and my ACD, my wonderful, very small crew that I had, like it was the hardest movie I've ever done in my life. I remember one time we're all staying at the Four Seasons because that's where they were shooting. Uh -huh. And like Cass walks in and me and Allie Benrick, who is an ACD, were standing there and we've been working like 21 days in a row. And it was so exhausting. And we like, we had like bags of like clothes in our arms and they're walking and they're like, oh my God, we just saw the waterfall and we did this. And we just like, went like on ATVs and they walk away and Allie and I look at each other and I said, they're having a very different experience on this island than we are. I mean, we were like, <laughs> I mean, just like, like shot after shot of coffee all day long. I mean, we were maniacs. I mean, we didn't think we were going to survive for a second. It was so hard because there's, it's just, it's a lot of physical comedy. And if there's physical comedy, something happens with the clothes. With the costume, right. Custom making it. Sometimes the jokes on Happy Madison movies happen as they're shooting it. Correct. So you're having to like come up with multiples literally on the spot. So it's it's crazy. But yeah, that was a fun movie. But it was a fun movie to watch. It was a rewarding movie to do, but it was a hard Very movie. difficult, right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you were talking on that too. Um, I'll bring that up and then we move with the, I like that you brought up um, something that I find that a lot of good costume designers do well. It's the subtleness of um, being able to understand when too much is too much, meaning that you are in comedy, you have to think on your toes, you have to be quick, but you're also thinking about, like you said, if your character is acting or behaving a certain way, like my character is, you know, uh, super crazy, then the costume has to kind of understate that because the actor is going to bring it out. 
So if your costume is also super crazy, it just pushes it into this weird place. And I yeah. think that's something that you brought up that is really, you know, telling it's a good character development part, just to remember, like, your character needs to embody that, but the costume can either push them forward or pull them back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was, and that went, the, that director, Tyler is awesome because yeah. we collaborated a lot. Cause in the beginning, again, it was like my first comedy in a while and it's such a broad comedy and such like slapstick and like the, the jokes are hilarious, but they're big. So I, like, from the beginning, I almost pushed it too much with her. And I would show him this illustration. He's like, I think it's too much. Yeah. He's like, let's dial it back. And then we talked about it. And I'm like, and then this is before we even knew who the actress was. And right. then she signed on. And I was like, oh, I got it. Yeah. Like, because she's like, her physical comedy is so big. So I wanted to make sure that nothing that she wore, that dress aside, but there was a specific reason for that. It was anything that like just took over like the physical comedy that she was going to be doing in that whole movie. So yeah, I had to downplay it a little bit. Well, let's let's move to, I want to kind of start to think about like how we move forward just in terms of the industry, but also just kind of giving our listeners something, which is talking about training. So training is important. Can you talk to the this next generation of designers out there how to prepare or how you think that they can start to prepare for a career in the industry? Um... Well, I it just, well, I mean, there's a couple of different avenues in LA to get yeah. into it. And it depends on if you want to go the union route and start what I did, which was I started working on set. So I do think the, I didn't ever, I've never ACD'd. I, one time I co-designed like a, like forever ago, a reality show, but mm-hmm. I've never ACD'd. And I don't think I've shopped more than like maybe a couple weeks here or there, like when I was day playing, when I was still in the union, but I did work on set. So I saw, and it was a very hard show. I saw all the workings from that, from just like being on set 14 hours a day, having, sometimes I'm doing the fittings with my set customers if the supervisor right. is busy because the designer was doing another show simultaneously. So I really learned bare bones then. I think that's really important. Because then, then now I know what a set customer is supposed to be doing. I know what I know what the shopper's supposed to be doing because I had a shopper above me. Like I know what everybody's supposed to be doing because I was there on the ground doing it. You know, at that point, that's again like back in the day, that was FX's first show. So like really we're aging. We're the, the set customer and I were doing the aging. We were doing yeah. the dumping. We were having right. the supervisor. We're all doing it together. So that was really important to be able to understand other people's positions. Correct. So that you can, so there's delegating and then there's delegating. But when you know that the person is, is either really awesome or has stuff to learn because you like, you know, the way that it's worked before because you've done it. And so I think that was important. And then Honestly, I just hustled work and without getting paid for years, I realized the set costuming isn't something that I wanted to do because it was so, it was every Monday I would be at work at 442 and every Saturday I would be, Saturday I'd be leaving right before dawn. So that was, I realized that's too much time. Like I thought I wanted to be a little bit more on the other side of the, the design process. So in between I did, I mean, I was doing student films and I was doing shorts and I was doing anything. I was working unpaid. I was doing everything I could to learn every aspect. So when I was doing those smaller projects, I was doing everything because I didn't have a crew. So I was doing the shopping. I was doing the sewing. I was doing everything. So I think that helped me a lot. I mean, there's the other route you can do is you can, you can be someone's assistant. 
and you yeah. can do that when you can learn. And I have had assistants that I used for a couple movies. I actually got them a designing job on a series that they asked me to do. And I said, will you take my assistant? And she's amazing. And he hired her for the series for the for last year. So, you know, I think, and she learned from me. So I just think that, I don't know, it's, there's a couple different avenues, but you just have to do it and you have to just keep doing it. And it's, I don't, it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Like, it's really worth it. I'm like, I'm happy and I'm blessed every day that I get to do what I love for a living. So but it, it. years and years of just like pounding the pavement. I mean, there was like, you know, every like after New Year's, I would just make this resolution every year before I got like a good series. I was like, yeah. I'm going to call every connection I have before pilot season. Like every producer I know, every director I know, every designer I know, see if designers are offered stuff and they like couldn't just like throw something to me just, just to get started and get the foot in the door. And I just had zero ego and zero shame. I'm like, I'm just gonna ask. So one thing I have learned is you have to ask and take what you want. It will not be handed to you, not in the entertainment industry. So that, that's the one thing is I had to take it. So, and I, still like i still to this day when i get done with a movie you just wonder god am i ever going to work again you know what i mean because we're freelance. <laughs> freelance i don't know anybody anybody that's freelance that's calm and just secure when they're done with the job please tell me like yeah. your secret because it's <laughs> stressful i inter i've interviewed actually and we're really good friends i've talked to her a lot about this over the years with ariane phillips which is ariane Someone like Ariane, she works all the time, and she yeah, works across she, multiple. Go, the, the yeah, but she works against. She works on multiple. Like she goes from costume design to theater to fashion shoot, exactly. whatever. Right. Even her, every single time she finishes a job, she has that same feeling. So now I know that it never goes away. It just is what it is. <laughs> I was watching some talk show, and Jane Fonda was being interviewed, and she said that one day she goes, she goes, yes, yeah, she goes. Every time I'm done with a movie, in my whole life i always think it's the last time i'm gonna work i'm like oh my god yeah yes that's the life of freelance and the, the life of an artist that it's it like is. you know the only, calm, the only calm i've been able to find in it is knowing that it'll never stop so i just know that that's just the way that it is thank you that actually <laughs> so so in that in knowing that it's never going to go away, I found a little bit of normalcy. Whenever it does happen, it doesn't feel as dire just because I know it's just a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the life we choose and the reward is high. You know what I mean? Yeah. We do and be, be creative and do what we love for a living. So, yeah, that's cool. So, last imparting words, like, do you have, in the climate that we're in right now, especially with everything that's going on, do you have any kind of imparting words that you'd like to give or words of encouragement for people that are listening that want to join this or do this as a career? Well, I don't think this is going to last forever, how this, yeah, this correct. is. I really don't. I think it's going to get back to normal. It might not be this year, but it may be in the, maybe a year, year and a half. But I don't know. I mean, I think words of encouragement for just, you just keep doing what you love doing. This will work itself out. The COVID, there'll be a vaccine. We'll figure this out again. Like we are in one of the most creative industries in the world and we are in the industry that has helped keep people sane in quarantine around the world so if we could not figure out how to how to navigate through this to get to the other side nobody can so there will be another side and i just think that it's worth it to just keep going out and just keep 
plugging away and trying to do it. And just again, like there's a people on my movie that are very, very frustrated with these rules and yeah. are trying to push back on every single rule. And like, we can't, we can't, we can't do it. This isn't going to work. And then they'll come to me thinking, because I'm feisty, that yeah. I'll be willing to be like, talk to the COVID guys and be like, this isn't going to work. And I'm like, oh no. We got to work together. Yeah. <laughs> Your very <favorite> thing. <laughs> One day, and then the next day, I will not worry about my next job. So yeah. I <laughs> and then that's it. So I guess that's a long-winded version of, of what I have to say to people about that. So I will, I will also say that Kelly brought up something just in terms of she was giving kind of like a, a general passage. Just remember for everyone listening that she talked about passion and about loving what you do. Um, that seemed to be the byline going through loving what you do and putting in the work and doing the hard work and knowing that it's not going to be given. Do your cold calls, reach out to people, show people that you're there, show them that you're willing to work, show them that you're willing to be a self-starter. That's what I heard in a lot of what you said. And I find that a lot of people that are successful, especially in this industry, are that way. Um, and they exhibit the same types of qualities that Kelly just so eloquently explained, which is making sure to be a go-getter, making sure to do the hard work, knowing that nothing's going to be given, but also underneath all of it, there's a job, which is, and you need to love that job because it's not going to be easy all the time. Sometimes it's going to be really difficult. You're going to go through things. And I think ultimately what you described is that it's that passion and that spark. And if you have that and you're willing to put it forward, it seems like obviously from your career, it feels like good things happen. <laughs> so now you know you never know yeah. <laughs> don't chase me <laughs> I, I promise <laughs> but i want to i want to thank kelly for coming and taking the time to share with us today um i'd also like to thank finding hollywood for this wonderful platform so we wanted to give a shout out to marilyn vance um and uh also i wanted to thank eddie marks at red uh thank you, thank you eddie thank you marilyn um, Kelly, before we leave you, please tell us anywhere that we can find you or check in on what you are doing next. Uh, Instagram, anything handles or anywhere that people can check on your work and see how you're doing. Uh, my Instagram is Kelly with an I underscore underscore Jones. Mm -hmm. And then my website is uh, kellyjonesdesigns.com. And I do have a Twitter and I'm never on it. So I don't remember what my Twitter handle is, but that's all. <laughs> Fourteen thousand Sons of Anarchy fans on that one. So Correct. <laughs> the more recent Instagram, and I try to just put up what I can about the shows that I'm doing and the design work and stuff like that. And for those listening, Kelly's name is spelled K E L L I. I. Yes. Yes. And then, if you want to look for me, I am on Instagram at Phil P H I L underscore Butte B O U T T E. If my last name doesn't sound funny, you're not saying it right. <laughs> 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 and, and, from New Orleans. yes from new orleans and uh if you guys have any other uh, uh uh questions or if you have things that you want to follow just follow kelly go check her out um and thank you guys for joining us today um and we hope that you join us again thank you so much kelly i really enjoyed this thank you thank you, this is fun. Uh, thank, you. thank you to our sponsor eddie marks with ragvan.com Ragvan is Hollywood's favorite place to rent fully equipped, high-quality trailers used by the entertainment industry to transport costumes and garments to and around filming sets in Hollywood. Also, thank you to our viewers. Be sure to follow Designing Hollywood Podcast on social media and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, and our YouTube channel for complete past and current episodes.